Hi, I'm Adrian Tan, and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Ori Gold. He is the Chief Executive Officer at Bench Media, a leading programmatic solutions company which boasts a highly diverse and high-performing team with over 30 nationalities. Hi Ori, welcome to the podcast. Hey Adrian, thanks for having me. Today we are going to talk about B-E-N-I, but before we do so, could you help the audience to understand a bit more about yourself and the chain of events that led you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the CEO and one of the founders at uh, Bench Media. Bench, what we do is we untangle the complexity of programmatic advertising and paid digital media, basically to deliver smarter and better results. So we have a unique technology that connects all the ad platforms in Facebook, Google, Amazon, the traders, and many more. And basically what we do is we give organizations the ability to precisely measure, test, manage a lot of the marketing activity. As for myself, I founded Bench about 10 years ago with my two other very talented co-founders, Shai Luft and Gil Sneer. And um, I'm at the position of the CEO. So as the CEO, I'm leading the company, the company's overall strategy and management. And also I'm leading the development of our products and technology. What exactly is DNI and why is it important for companies to focus on it? Yeah, absolutely. So diversity, equity and inclusion, which is DE. And I think it's one of the most important conversations happening in businesses and organizations too. Basically what it is, it's the process of recognizing the value of different perspectives, different experiences and different ways of working by different people. It's very important because it encourages everyone to really reflect on their own beliefs and values. And in, in essence, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's not only about hiring people from different backgrounds, but also to about making sure that um, the business, the organization create and support an environment where people can really bring their whole self to work and they feel welcome and valued. And the essence behind it is that happy, motivated people that feel safe and playful actually outperform other cultures in terms of creativity, output, performance, and efficiency. I'm very certain it's not something that you had the idea from day one. Is there a pivotal moment that got you acquainted with DEI and became something that you like to focus on? Yeah, look, this is an area that is uh, personally very close to my heart. I moved uh, myself from Israel to Australia about 11 years ago. My wife, my partner is Australian. We lived in Israel for uh, four or five years. And then we have decided to move to Sydney and start our family here. So suddenly the first time of my life, I realized that I'm going to be an immigrant. I'm going to be different. And suddenly I had first time experience of being from a different cultural background 
to the majority. I think for the personal experience, I was lucky because I'm familiar with that environment. My, my dad was actually an immigrant to Israel and um, Israel itself, where I was born and raised and been there till I was 30, itself, it's a melting pot of cultures. It's only established about 73 years ago. So my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation, almost all of them are immigrants. There's also a very strong ecosystem um, of innovation and startup in Israel, which I believe bubbling because of that melting pot, because of that mix of creativity and cultures, having one common ground, but different perspective to life. And Israel itself celebrates it. And I'm also very happy to move to a place like Sydney in Australia, which is really inclusive, really welcoming. There's always room to improve, but I feel that the economy here is very inclusive with a lot of emphasis on that, on equity. How diverse is your current team? Yeah, look, we have a very diverse team at Bench. Uh, we have people from all over the world, but probably 60% of our management were born overseas, including myself and, and another co-founder. So two out of three co-founders and owners of the business. We have a team of about 46 people in three different locations, Sydney, Singapore, and Russia. And out of that 46 people, about 20 or so different cultural backgrounds. So we have a very diverse team, and I think that diversity is part of our DNA, and it's something we really celebrate. For people who are new to this, it might be a bit hard for them to even imagine, I guess, even for a typical company in Singapore where the average diversity may be just different uh, people from three different culture at most. What, what, how do you even, and for some companies, they are very straight laced. They will just be getting people, this, uh, this, we are a Chinese company, we just want to get Chinese people in here. But what are some of the advice that you have for them? And what's the kind of opportunity cost that you think they are missing out on by not having a stronger focus on DEI? Yeah, I think it's a good question because it's a very hard mindset to shift. And I think as people, we always stick to what's common and familiar. I mean, it's much more comfortable and easier. I think the risk there is having a, a unity of vision, which is good in one perspective, but it's very efficient, but for the short term. Today, we have a really big and global economy. And if you want to really participate in it in Singapore, I think similar to many other countries is a lot, is an exporting country. So you want to make sure that whenever you deliver suitable for different cultures, suitable for different types of people, not those necessarily that see what you think and the way you think. And I think the most important place to start is to lead by example. You have to have some, the leadership really understands that diverse then this culture in a company really will outperform on the long term the other type of cultures or more unite and less diverse culture. There was a great research done by Harvard Business Review that showed that 15% that companies with a diverse diversity culture and, and support to equity in culture and inclusive culture are more likely to outperform their competitors by 15%, sorry. Many researches around showing that teams of diverse cultures are better at problem solving, more creative, 
and basically have a greater access to different perspectives, as we said before. So I think the first place to start is to really equip yourself with the research and the knowledge and understand that this is a global economy and that's what's, that's the future. You did a diversity study with Macquarie University and some interesting findings came out. Could you share with us what are some of the surprises and useful stuff that people can learn from? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we came to that research, which we've done about a year ago with Macquarie University in Sydney. Although thinking that because we know that um, area quite a while and really believe in it, that everything will, will show that we are performing everything, all elements of outputs other non-diverse teams. One thing that surprised us is that we got a lower efficacy and particularly because of the process of communication. And if it'll be more particular in the, in how communication between different groups are conducted. And that surprised us. We thought we're doing a really good job. So I think like any other complex meeting, there's no one, I guess, silver bullet and it's something that you need to always work on. We've implemented now a lot of communication processes, particularly cross teams, and it's something that we keep on always keeping an eye on. From the other hand, we got a lot of other um, great fun findings uh, from that study that we've actually appreciated about the performance and the engagement of the team that is very um, high compared to the benchmark, and that's attributed to the diversity of the team, which we believe it. We believe it. So it was good, good to reinforce our thinking. So I think for us, the most important part of diversity is that it's not a one thing. And the most important thing is to keep an ongoing and constant communication with your teams, with your managers, uh, to be a bit bottom up, not only top down, and to make sure that you don't have necessarily too much of a pre-assumptions to anything that you are planning to do. Could you walk us through your personal DI journey in Bench? Did you currently have everything that you're doing right now from day one, or was it more of an evolving journey? What are some of the good practices or even some of the missteps that you encountered along the way? Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a long process, which uh, I think never ends. I think we're only at the beginning of it. There's a lot of work that we need to do, as I mentioned before, particularly around communication. Sometimes languages, when you have different cultures, sometimes the way you articulate things can really matter or offend some people. And I think being aware of that all the time is super important. Particularly for me, coming from a different background, a lot of time I mispronounce or missay things that some people may feel that it's inappropriate. So I think uh, for us, part of the journey is to really keep on evolving. We have our people and culture team that is actually championing this area and doing a fantastic job. And in, to give you an example as part of that, the last um, two or three years, we've implemented a lot of policies. For instance, we took our parental leave policy and made sure that it's gender neutral. So usually the parental leave policies are all based around the mark, but it's a new world and there's no reason to have that split on genders. So just having that suddenly new lenses to understand that the main carrier may be the, the male and rather than the female, it's about parenting. It's not about agenda. So we've basically revamped all of our job descriptions, all of our parental leave policies, made them gender neutral. 
other things that we've done in order to make sure that we are more inclusive is we've created a really clear process to support people and different employees with different life circumstances to have alternatives or flexible arrangement when they need. So for instance, we had a, a, a young parent that decided that he wants to live somewhere else outside of, of Sydney. And it's something that he really wanted. So we've worked with him and arranged that he, he moved to Tasmania with his family. We really supported that. We've allowed him to have that flexibility. He would continue to evolve professionally with us, but also personally by himself to feel that he's, he's getting the support for the lifestyle and circumstances that he has at the moment. So these are some examples of things that we do basically uh, and processes that we've implemented to cater for remote workers, different locations and different certain circumstances. So it's uh, really about catering to the unique needs of the individual. And of course, to clear out all the preconceived notion, as you rightly mentioned earlier on, parental leave is not just for a specific group of people. It could be catered to other group of people that it, it should be gender neutral, as you mentioned earlier on. And when it comes to performance, which was mentioned in the Macquarie uh, University report to play in high-performing team, do you also see having a correlated impact on retention? Yeah, it's a good point. I think if I unpack it, maybe I'll separate between performance and the retention. To your comment at the beginning, absolutely, it's, an, it's about the individual and not the group. And I think that's the focus. It's about really listening to the different perspectives and different experiences and not stick to necessarily arbitrary groups like uh, that, that we had before, like gender or age or cultural background, but to actually look at the individual and their perspective and experience as itself. In terms of retention, I do believe we have much higher retention rates than the industry here in that we do that. Our people and culture team do keep an eye on, on the benchmark and we, the KPIs that we put in place is to make sure that we are both above the average here in Sydney. I do feel that it contributes a lot because at the end of the day, I think everyone, employees, people want to be seen. And what want to be seen and, and understand that uh, someone is taking care of them, listening to them, seeing their experience and really attending that. That doesn't mean giving everything to everyone all the time. It just means listening, I mean, to their perspective and really understanding that. And, and I, I definitely know that it helped our company in retaining um, talent and not only retaining talent, I think the most important factor is that the talent you have is satisfied and happy. And then you get more creativity, innovation, happy people make just, just do a better job. We have seen enough studies and articles about presentism, people who just turn up to work, but then their mind, their heart, their soul are actually left at home because they're just not satisfied in their work. So having something to, to remove that out of equation, to just have happy people at work, definitely, I would believe, play a huge part. Now, we have mentioned a lot about the, some of the best practices, some of the great examples that you have given to us that you have tried along your current evolving journey on DEI within Bench. But I'm very certain there would also be some challenges and there might be some difficult part of implementing a DEI program. 
for people who are new to DEI and might be keen to take a first baby steps. Are, are there some difficult parts that they should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Not an easy journey. I think that um, the, the main challenges I see it is, is people's predisposed opinion. You have, in order to lead change, like any big change, you, you really want to make sure that you just don't just tick boxes. I think that's the pitfall is to start with policies. Let's tick this box and let's tick that box. And let's uh, say that we're diverse uh, just because we are. For instance, one of the, in the past, we have so many languages in our teams because we have so many people from so many different backgrounds. And at the beginning of the journey a few years ago, it bothered too many people that some closed knit groups from different from similar cultural backgrounds speak different language to English and other people, other groups can't understand, can't get involved. And we had a big debate in the leadership and management team of what to do with that. And the first instinct was let's make all speak English and then everyone would feel included. But then as we unpacked it, we thought, wait a minute, we are in Sydney. There's many of the groups already feel disadvantage because of the language and rather than feeling them included, will make them feel excluded. So our first instinct was to do that, make everything the same. Everyone speaks English. Unpacking it, we were very clear to us that excluding other languages is not the way to do. That's not inclusive. Instead, we've decided to make sure that people have shared and close experience regardless of their background. So we've implemented, for instance, ways to celebrate the differences, ways to celebrate what we have in common rather than indifferent. Um, for instance, we've implemented an international dish day. Once a year, everyone's uh, preparing a, a, a dish or uh, some food from their cultural background and we all come together and make a big feast where everyone shares it with everyone else and speaks about that and we celebrate the, difference, the differences, then you build trust and common ground for everyone to really work together without excluding any particular individual. I'll be happy to know when is your next dish day and I'll turn up at your office with an empty stomach. Absolutely, you're more than welcome. It's really interesting for you guys to look at celebrating the differences as well as the similarities. I, I remember attending a, a group training many years ago. And before we even start the training, it was this icebreaking bonding exercise. And that exercise actually focused on the commonalities that we have. Things that we may have done, let's say I've done rock climbing and I got to know this person has done rock climbing before. We've gone to the same countries before. That really helped to bring people closer together. So I really appreciate what you have uh, mentioned here in trying to get people more closer and have better understanding of each other. Now, I also want to go a bit granular for companies that might be looking to acquire talent because they're expanding, they're looking to replace. How do you then bake diversity into a job description? Yeah, I think, I think you don't really want to just tick the box. You really want to implement a, a process that really become blind <laughs> to the I guess the cultural background, the age and the gender of the individual. And there's a concept called blind recruitment. It's actually a concept that was introduced to me by Anthony Virgin, people and operation director. 
basically it's the process of looking to ways to level the playing field and I guess eliminate biases with recruitment uh, new talent. As much one wants to believe that you're making the best hiring decision only based on skills and experience, research really shows that factors other than just pure merit can really influence your hiring decision. So uh, what blind recruitment means is it's a method to avoid those biases and create a process that is, is blind to those factors. By that, organizations can remove any identification characteristics, uh, for instance, from the resume. So basically you have some person in the team that is not a decision maker that makes sure that um, even the name which tells you background, the age, give any identifiers, remove them from the CV, and then give it to the decision maker to make the, the selection criteria. This becomes more uh, harder and more advanced steps of the recruitment because you need to meet the person, but that's more or less the concept of online recruitment, which I'm a big fan of. One other thing that we do, for instance, re regardless of recruitment, is in the process, for instance, of, of salaries, right? So instead of a, a lot of times salaries are linked to a particular individual and that individual has characteristics like gender, age, and cultural background. But if you try to remove them, make sure that you have an, a separate process that looks at everyone at the company, looks at the skills, looks at the peer-to-peer, -peer, let's say, sorry, peer-to-peer -peer engagement, looking at the, the performance in the actual role, et cetera, regardless of who the individual is, and then make sure that all people with similar skills, similar roles have similar salary, which means that you stop, stop making gaps between different genders and different cultural backgrounds as sometimes because of our biases tends to happen in companies. So it's not so much about hiring people from diverse backgrounds for the sake of it, but it's really trying to find your best talent for the company, but during the screening process, do not take into consideration things which doesn't make sense because end of the day, it should be about what the person can bring to the table, the gender, the race, any other stereotypical attributes that you can think of would not play a part because end of the day is all about the performance. Thank you so much for all those enlightenment they've given to us. Where can people find out more about yourself, your company and the things that you're doing when it comes to DEI? We have a lot of, a lot of research that we've done internally. We have some things on our website. If anyone is really interested is you can approach myself, um, or Gold on LinkedIn, PM me. I would love to, to talk about that. And definitely my business partner, Shai Luf, oversees all our people and culture activity. Also LinkedIn, that's Shai Luf on LinkedIn, our people and culture um, team who is led by Anthony Fergett. Also on LinkedIn, I think we, we're very happy and proud to share our journey, our challenges. And yeah, if anyone want to get in touch, we'd be very happy to have a conversation and give our two cents of the journey. All this will be placed into the show notes. Thank you so much, Ari, for your time today. Lovely speaking with you. Adrian, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.